Well, good morning. How are we doing? It's great to see you all today. My name is Grace Marie. I'm the worship arts director here, and I'm just grateful for an awesome morning we've already had together, and I am anticipating the ways that God is going to open our hearts today as we look at a great passage together as we uh, study God's Word together, which is one of my favorite things to do is study God's Word and, and talk about it um, and see the ways that, that God wants to challenge us today. So we have a lot to cover. I'm going to jump right in. I want to let you all know that recently I got the chance to fly a plane. Some of y'all are like, why'd they let you do that? All right, let me, let me do a little caveat. I actually got to go up in a plane with somebody else who was licensed, and I got the chance to uh, take controls for like a hot minute or so. But I want you to take a look at this plane, okay? This was the smallest little plane I'd ever been on, a little teeny, little teeny two-seater. And um, my goal was twofold, not puke or panic. And I am, I'm grateful to report that I didn't either. It was wonderful. We, we went up, we uh, departed from uh, a little airport not far from here, and we flew to Charleston and had brunch with my brother, and then we flew back. It was like, I was like, wow, this is how the other half of the world lives, I guess. I'm just gonna fly to have a brunch in, in Charleston, but it was, it was really fun. And one of the really uh, neat things was coming back in uh, to the Lexington area, and I was like, oh, I wanna go and uh, I wanna see the church from, from up here. It's like, okay, so as we were coming into the Lexington area, you could see the lake, you know, and it was like so cool looking, and you know, the, the pilot told me just, just look for the green roof. And he's right. When you're looking for Mount Horeb and you're up there, all you do is look for the green roof and it definitely stands out in the field of everything else, as you can see. So I'm texting people that I'm working with. I'm like, I'm flying over the church. Come outside. It was, it was very, it was very exciting. Um, it was, it was my day off. So I, it wasn't like my workers that I had on my team making them come out and see me. But I was off that day. It was very fun. And there's something about flying that's always really unique is you have a chance to get a different perspective on something. You have a chance when you're up in the air like that to get a bigger picture. And typically, you know, I come into this building, you know, all during the week, I work here full time. And so to be able to see the property and to see the place where I'm, I'm employed at from a whole different view just really gave me a new perspective to see all of that. Perspective is, is really important. And oftentimes when it comes to our resources or our money or our time, any of those things, it's always helpful to get a new perspective, to take a step back and get a bigger, bigger picture and see, okay, what is my money going towards and what could it go towards to actually impact things that actually matter in the long run? You see, for the last several weeks, we've been in this series on generosity, like Pastor Jeff just mentioned. And with this series of generosity, we've been looking at several key principles from Scripture. One, that we need to be people who are open-handed. We need to be people who are open-hearted. And we need to be people who have open tables for anyone to come into the life of God and experience His goodness, His grace, and His mercy. So today, I get the joy of wrapping the whole series up. So that could either be a really good thing or a really bad thing. It could be a good thing as a speaker because you're like, all right, I don't have to worry about going into anything that any of the other speakers are gonna speak on in the coming weeks. I can just put a nice little bow on it and, and kind of do kind of a catch-all of anything that we haven't touched on yet. But then the bad part about preaching the end of a series is I feel like people come in like, what are you gonna teach us that we haven't already learned the previous four weeks from everybody else? 
Hopefully that's not anybody this morning. But what I would like to humbly offer and prayerfully offer today is a chance to gain a bigger perspective, realizing that everyone can be involved in generosity. Everyone can be involved in generosity in some way by choosing to do something. A quote that has made a big impact on me, I wrote it in the front cover of my Bible uh, years ago, but it's this, it's between the great things we cannot do and the small things we will not do, the danger is that we shall do nothing. I'm gonna read that again. Okay, somebody wants to write it down. Between the great things we cannot do and the small things we will not do, the danger is that we shall do nothing. You see, it's, it's easy to think, oh, I can't do anything big or significant, whether it's with my actions or with my money or my resources. I, I mean, that's, I can't do any of that big stuff. And then it's also easy to, to, to play the other side of it and think, well, this is such a small thing. This isn't really gonna make a difference. Like, this doesn't really matter in the, wrong, in the long run. And what happens is we find ourselves battling between the great things we can't do, the small thing we want, and we find ourselves actually doing nothing. We find ourselves actually doing nothing. And today, one of the ways I want us to gain a new perspective on generosity is to hear a powerful story from a family in our church. A powerful story about uh, how they prayerfully considered how they could be used by God and how they were blessed because other people came alongside of them and they chose to do something. And all together, by all of their sacrifices together, they made a huge impact and were blessed beyond what they ever could have imagined. And generosity is what actually made the difference in this entire story. And so we're gonna watch this video together, sit back, relax, and be challenged by this incredible story from from one of our families. We decided during our Lent season that um, we were gonna try something a little bit different. Um, And so during that time, um, I think both of us have always gone into Lent trying to figure out like, can we give up something for 40 days? And usually it would be- Food. Food, coffee, candy, whatever it was. We're gonna do this for 40 days. And this time it was gonna be a little bit different um, for me specifically. I decided that I was going to give up sleep and wake up every morning at five o'clock to six o'clock and just spend time with the Lord. And during that time, I was just kind of asking the Lord, like, what is it that you have for me in this season? After a couple of days, I really felt like the Lord was leading us to adoption, and I didn't know what Steve thought about adoption at that time. When I approached him and I was like, hey, you know, what do you think about adoption? And his response was... Absolutely, I've always wanted to adopt. Say what? (laughs) Overall, we we both, our hearts were in the right place, and I think burden-wise, the financial piece was what affected me the most. It was looking at that and saying like, well, why would we, we don't have debt. We've paid off our student loans. We're we're doing what we're supposed to do. and we're giving and we're saving and we're, we're doing everything, why would we take on $40,000 of debt? That doesn't make sense. Surely that can't be what God wants us to do. I think, you know, domestically at the time, it was $25,000 to adopt, which sounded a little easier, I guess, but we knew that we didn't want to um, do that. And so when we got the final cost for $40,000, 
um, that it was a little uh, a little harder to swallow. There were so many God signs in this whole adoption journey for us that we were just like, you know what, God, like as much as we want to say no and as as scary as it is, like we are going to trust you with this. I think just through prayer and signs, um, India just kind of started to pop up here and there. And yeah, yeah, and I think you know with India it was really interesting because during that time when we had kind of nailed down, okay, I think this is where we're gonna adopt from, I'm gonna pray about it. Um, that was the first year that Mount Horeb started getting involved in doing mission in India. And so we just kind of took that as a sign, like, okay, hey, that maybe this is where it's gonna be. So we got the green light, we were um, getting matched with a child, and it sounds terrible, but it's kind of like window shopping. They hand you a file or they email you a file and they say, hey, look through the medical, look through you know the picture of the child and let us know if this child works for you. Um, and you know, it really, it really pulls at your heart. Cause it's just like, how do I say no to someone? Um, but and that's where you really have to, you have to take a, say a thirty thousand foot view kind of approach at it and say, like, okay, can we handle this? We got uh, this file and we saw the picture and. And it was a little shocking. <laughs> it, it was shocking. I mean, imagine you know a child that seems a little bit malnourished in another country. Um, that has limb difference. The limb difference that she has only affects her arms, and so she has a very short little uh, right arm um, with two fingers, and then she has um, a little bit of a longer left arm with a bent wrist that has three fingers, but only two are functional, so her thumb does not work um, at all. And so it was just kind of a shock uh, for me. I think, I think for Joe, I think instantaneously, she was like, I'm her mom. Um, I remember telling Leah, you know, I was like, we, you know, we're gonna have a sister with special needs, right? And she said, yeah, yeah, I do. And so I said, well, what kind of special needs would you feel comfortable with? She goes, leans in, she's like, you know, if she doesn't have any arms or legs, I'd be okay with that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, that is crazy because they hadn't seen the picture of her yet. So they didn't know that she had limb difference. And so eventually when we did the reveal and we showed her the picture, she looked at me like with tears in her eyes and she said, Jesus answered my prayers. When we went to India, you know, they always tell us, well, they tell you in the agency, like the child is gonna bond with one or the other and it's usually gonna be the mom. And um, so we got to the orphanage and um, she did not like me at all, at all. But she loved Steve. And, and the yeah. point of, you know, me not really bonding with her picture up front in the beginning and then finally seeing her and her only wanting to deal with me. So, I mean, you know, uh, what, a five-hour car ride followed by an 18-hour plane ride. She was basically, like, glued to my body. <laughs> yes. um, but, I mean, it was, honestly, it was bonding time for her and I that really, I think, was a game-changer from a standpoint of me just not feeling connected to her than being able to feel connected to her. We were matched with her when she was six months old, and we were able to go bring her home when she turned two. So from six months to two, we were praying every night for our sister, and she they were involved in praying for her, and they were involved in praying for her safety and her protection and um, the bond, and she really feels like she's been part of our family. Part of family. Mm -hmm. Forever. Yeah, I think, you know, when people pour into you, like, it really makes you more receptive to give it back to give what God is giving us and to do it up front. Um, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't want our money. He wants our heart to be in the right posture. He wants our heart to be in a 
in a giving posture. And that allows us to be able to see and receive the gifts that he truly has for us. And he has completely blessed us with the most precious child um, who is sassy and sweet and all the things, um, but we wouldn't change a thing. And we're so thankful for the people who have invested in her life, um, because again, without their financial help, she wouldn't be here. So she isn't only ours, she's everybody who really poured into financially bringing her home. So we're super thankful. What a, a powerful story of somebody within our very own church community. I know that many people that are a part of our church played a part in their journey, and many people in this community came alongside and, and supported them. And that's a chance for us here at, at the beginning of this message to think about a story that has a big impact. The little decisions along the way, we see the end result of something like that that is so incredibly powerful. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look through Mark chapter 12, and I want us to look at a story where Jesus, uh, Jesus teaches his disciples something incredibly important when it comes to giving and when it comes to generosity. And we're gonna see that all of us are invited into this journey, and we can all do something and play a part as we give back the things that have been given to us. And so I'm gonna read this for us. It's Mark chapter 12, 41 through 44, if you wanna follow along on the screen or in your Bible, I wanna jump in. It says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. You see, this scene at the temple would have been a common one. It was typical for people to come in at certain times during the year to bring their offerings to God's house as a way to obey him, as a way to resource the needs of the temple, and as a way to help the needy in their own community. And within this court area that Jesus is in, in the, in the temple, there would have actually been 13 contribution boxes, okay? 13 places where people would drop their money. And these boxes were, were very interesting, very different than anything probably we could understand. And they were all around the room in different places. And at the top of them, it was, they, they were bronze at the top, and it was almost like this funnel that went down smaller and then dropped into a collection box. And so each collection box went to certain different things that they were designated for. And so uh, with it being this big bronze thing, they were often referred to as trumpets, interestingly enough. And so Jesus is, is here and he's in this scene and it says that he sat down near one of the collection boxes and it actually says he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Like that sounds intimidating, right? I mean, can you imagine, I'm just like, okay, should we get like a pastor to like post up at each offering box when you guys are leaving? That might not be the way to really bring about generosity in the church even more. But it actually wouldn't have been intimidating to the people during this time. It was a huge crowd. It was very common that people were around 
doing this. And, and people did not know that Jesus was actually fully the Messiah at this point. So he was just there. He was a part of the crowd. And within this big crowd of people, Jesus in this passage immediately makes two distinctions between two different parties. The first party that he makes a distinction about is the many rich people. He says, within this crowd, there are many rich people. And the many rich people are bringing large amounts of money to contribute in the temple that day. They're bringing large amounts of money that they're dropping in these collection boxes. But the other party that he points out is that he notices the one poor widow. Amongst this entire crowd, that's the person that he knows, notices. And it says that she actually dropped in two small coins. Now, this small coin during this time would have been known as a lepton. Okay, a lepton. A lepton was a little bronze coin. It was the smallest denomination in Greek currency. And it was actually 164th in value of a denarius. And a denarius, if you're tracking with me, a denarius would have been the, a day's wage for a common worker. Okay, so you're talking about a lepton is 164th the amount of working for a full day. It's not very much. It's very insignificant when you really think about the actual monetary value of that. In today's equivalent, this would be about one-eighth of a cent or penny. Very, very small. But Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue here. He's not impressed by the amount of givers in the crowd. He's not impressed by the amount of money being given in the crowd. He is impressed with this one widow who comes and gives when it's really difficult for her to even do so, but she chose to give what she had. In this entire crowd of people, who is the one standing out to Jesus? The one poor widow. God is looking at the quality of the giver, not the quantity of the gift. God is looking at the quality of the giver, not the quantity of the gift. Right before this story takes place in the temple, Jesus had just done some teaching to the crowds. And this is actually something he said directly before this happens in verse 38. It says this, Jesus also taught, beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. You see, Jesus is, is helping people understand something important. Too often we can confuse spirituality with some public display of religious duty. Some flashy, superficial spirituality that's completely actually missing the point. Much of this passage is describing people who are trying to stand out. Yet, standing out in front of people is very different than standing out before God. You hear that? Standing out in front of people and impressing other people is very different than standing out before God. This scene at the temple would have been quite a display of getting noticed, honestly. 
You know, as I described the collection boxes earlier with the, the, brown, the bronze uh, tops, the big circles as they would drop money in, they say that it would have been actually very loud. And so when people would be in the temple and they'd be tossing their coins and their offerings in, it's actually clanging against this metal and it's making a good bit of noise. And so you can imagine all these wealthy people as they're walking around and they're dropping in this money. It would have been very noticeable very noticeable, and the one widow would have been very easily unnoticeable except to Jesus. To Jesus, she stood out, and her heart was in the right place. You see, giving is not about checking a box. It's about checking your heart. It's not about checking a box. Oh, I need to do my, my duty. This is what God asked me to do. I need to do this part. I mean, check this off my list of all the things I need to do to be a quote unquote good Christian. That's actually not what it's about. It's actually about checking your heart. If we're going about it, addressing other things, we're addressing the wrong issue. Uh, last weekend, I ran into an issue at my house and I'm not one to do a lot of like plumbing work around the house. However, my bathtub stopped draining, okay? And once I realized that it was like three inches of water, and so I did what any, you know, strong-willed female would do in my situation, I ignored it for 24 hours, okay? So I was like, uh, I'm gonna see if it goes down by tomorrow. So I shut the door, I ignored it, used the other bathroom. And then, you know, the next day I check it out, it hadn't moved at all. So then I did a little research. I said, okay, I'm not asking for help. I'm gonna, I'm gonna handle this thing myself. Did a little YouTube, found out what I needed to get. Did my little trip to Home Depot. Went to Home Depot, I got a, uh, I didn't know what this was before, but a, a, like a plumbing snake, okay? I got me a plastic one. Then I upgraded and got a metal one just in case it was gonna be serious, you know, serious business. And then I got a new plunger. And then I got a big old gallon of Max Drano gel. Okay, the YouTube video watch told me to get all these things. So I came home and I was ready for my plumbing adventure. So I'm there, I start, so I start with the plastic snake, you know. So I start doing the thing, following the directions, nothing. Water's not moving. I'm like, all right, time to pull out the metal one. Spent more money on this one. So I start using that one, work on it for a while, nothing, not draining at all. I'm like, hey, this is not, this is not looking good. All right, guess I'm using this new fancy plunger. So I get that, I start trying to, you know, get it to move, get it to drain, nothing. Then I'm like, all right, it's time for the big guns, the Max Drano gel, okay? But the problem was, the bathtub was just full of water. You know, I had three or four inches of water at this point. So I'm like, I don't know how to actually do this because I can't, you know, pour it at the thing. It just basically is like pouring it in the tub. So I'm like, all right. So I try to point it towards the drain, but it just starts filling up and it called for the half gallon. And I just went ahead and I poured the whole gallon in. I'm like, well, let's see what it does. I shut the door. I leave it. I come back 20 minutes later, nothing. It hasn't moved. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I'm like getting frustrated. I'm like, I'll have to call somebody to come help me. I'll have to call, I'll have to pay a plumber. I don't wanna have to do that. And as I'm leaning over the tub, feeling very frustrated, I literally look over and see the drain lever is pulled up. Not kidding, true story. Asked my mama. I had called her and told her about it. I thought, you gotta be kidding me. So what I did in my joy and embarrassment, I flipped the lever down and all the water drained out immediately. Well, the point is, oftentimes we end up putting resources and energy and all these things addressing the actual wrong issue. We address the wrong issue. And when it comes to giving, a lot of times we start thinking, oh, you know, if, if I made more money, if I had what that person's salary was, oh, I'd be so generous. Oh, I'd be so generous. If I didn't have to send my kids to college, I'd be so generous. 
If I didn't have all these bills, if I didn't have all these, you know, dot, 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 fill in the blank, we have lots of excuses for things, but the reality is we're addressing the wrong issue. When it comes to generosity, we need to be looking at our own selves, our own heart, and start addressing that first because God is looking at the quality of the giver, not the quantity of the gift. Verse 43, it says this. It says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. You see, Jesus was always looking for opportunities to teach his disciples. So you can imagine the scene. They see Jesus over sitting near a collection box watching the crowd, and then Jesus waves them over. So they're probably thinking like, oh, I bet he's so impressed by all the money. He's probably got an idea of what how all this could be used for, for God. And they get over there, and Jesus points out the widow. And I can imagine them being like, wait, who? Wait, we didn't even, know. wait, I didn't even see her. Is, is she talking about her? We didn't even notice her. We didn't even see her in the crowd. He teaches them that this seemingly small amount, these two little coins from this widow actually has more value than all of the other gifts combined. He teaches them that the value of the two coins is more value and more worth than all the others combined. You see, the kingdom of God runs on a different value system. The kingdom of God runs on a different value system. When we think about uh, value or worth and when it comes to money, we think about currency, right? Currency is the accepted method of exchange and value in any given region, okay? So I have here a good old United States dollar. It's worth $1 here in the United States. If you were to go to Europe, it would not be worth just the $1. Depending on the region you go to, the region is actually defining what the worth and value is of the method of exchange that you're using. Same way here, I went to Egypt a few years ago and I have a Egyptian pound, okay? One Egyptian pound. If, you, if I were to go and have this exchange in today, it would take 19.66 Egyptian pounds to make a dollar. This is just how the world works. But the big thing I want you to, to think about when it comes to the value of, of money is every region in the world is the one actually defining the value and the worth of that thing. The currency of the kingdom of God runs on a different value system. It's different than the world's. So what may be considered of great value and worth in our monetary standards may carry very little weight in the kingdom of God. And vice versa, what actually may seem small and insignificant and not really worth a lot of money may carry great weight and value before God because God's determining its worth on a different set of principles. God is determining its worth on a different set of principles. And this may not make a lot of sense to us. I mean, I can imagine if we're sitting here and we're really thinking about it that the disciples may have been like, okay, all right, Jesus, I need you to explain this to me. Why can't we just be glad of all the wonderful things that can be done with all of this money? Why can't we just be, like, think about all the great things that God can do with that? Because let's be honest, like the two coins, like it's sweet, like it's sweet that the widow came. It's sweet that she gave the two. What you gonna do with two leptons, Jesus? They may have been thinking that. 
But Jesus was thinking very differently about it. While the disciples may have been thinking, look at what God can do with all of that money. Jesus was thinking, look at what God can do with all of that person. Ultimately, what's the big point happening here? The big point happening is that the widow was offering herself to God. The widow was offering herself to God. The powerful thing that Jesus is doing here is he is leveling the playing field for absolutely anyone. He's, laying, he's leveling the playing, playing field here. You don't have to be rich to bring something of worth and value to the kingdom. You don't have to have some incredible social status or special role. You don't have to have everything all together. You can offer something incredible and value to God because all he wants is for you to truly offer yourself. That's what God is after. And this isn't just about the poor widow. The rich people are also invited into that. That's just not what they were doing. That's the kind of the point of this story. But all people can be invited to participate. The value is determined by God. And she offered herself. The kingdom of God runs on a different value system. The last verse in the story, it says this, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, referring to the rich. They gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Jesus points out that it may seem like they have given a lot. It may seem like a lot, but it actually cost them very little. It actually cost them very little, but it actually cost the widow something to give the two coins. The value of the gift is determined by what it actually costs you. The value of the gift is determined by what it actually costs you. Years ago, I was actually when I was in high school, I got the opportunity to go on my first mission trip. I was, I think, 17 years old, and I went to Dominican Republic, and I went, and we were playing basketball and traveling around different areas um, within the country, and when I was there, it was the first time I had really been exposed to any sort of poverty. Um, that I had really seen like this. And so I was there and uh, I remember we were playing after, after one of the games, we were playing with some kids and there were tons of street kids that just would come and, and watch the games and, and wanna hang out, wanna talk to us. And I spoke no English and I mean, I spoke no Spanish. I didn't speak, I didn't speak good English, I can guarantee you. Uh, I did not speak Spanish and they did not speak English. And I remember trying to communicate and trying to, you know, connect with all these kids. And this one little boy I really connected with, and I could tell he had nothing when it comes to earthly standards. He had really nothing, but he was so full of joy. And I remember as I was about to get on the bus to go to a different city, I will never forget in that moment, though he had barely anything, he had these little teeny blue sunglasses. And in that moment, though he didn't, couldn't say my name, we couldn't communicate, he just took them off and he handed them to me. And one of the friends on the bus took the picture of me saying goodbye to this kid. I, I never knew his name. I have no idea what happened to him. But getting those little blue sunglasses to him meant so much to me because I knew it actually cost him something. So much so that it's been 23 years and I still have these little blue sunglasses. Now, do I have these little blue sunglasses because they're fashionable? Negative, okay. I've never actually worn them out. Thank you. Somebody said they look good. I'm like, wear them after service to the fair. 
These little blue sunglasses probably were never worth more than a few dollars. I don't keep them because I think I can trade them in and get some incredible value out of them, no. These blue sunglasses are important because I knew they cost him something. For him to be willing to give them to me, I can't just throw those away. The worth and the value is in what it cost him to give it to me. And I keep these in my room in a drawer all these years later remembering that. You see, we're invited into the chance to be people who give and people who are generous in proportion to what we've been given. Jesus is talking about proportional giving here and the reason he's being really harsh with this group of rich people is because they're not giving into proportion to what they've been given. Their gift is actually very disproportionate, very disproportionate. But God has a, has a way and a reason for setting things up this way to say, hey, give to the amount that you have been given so that we all get to participate in generosity and everybody's needs are taken care of. When we all do our part, everybody's needs are taken care of and that's the overall biblical principle you see. They may have given a tiny surplus which seemed like a lot, but it was disproportionate. They were missing it and giving is about being faithful, not about being noticed. Giving is about being faithful, not about being noticed. So many people that were religious during the day, so many people that were following Jesus were so caught up in that. They wanted to be noticed, and Jesus was very harsh in the passage right before this. That is not what it's about. The widow was so not in it to get noticed. The widow wanted to be faithful. But here, here's the truth. The widow could have been like, mm, I'm embarrassed. I'm not gonna go in the temple today. What if she would have just shied away from going? What if she would have said, I don't wanna give my very little because look at everything that's going on. Look at all these people who are making a bigger impact than me. I don't wanna give my little bit, but she did. She gave everything. And in giving what she gave, she was actually trusting herself over to God and saying, God, you can have my life because I actually need to depend on you to take care of me and all of my needs. You see, Jesus is teaching us something so incredible in this passage that I just don't want us to miss it today, that we all can participate in just generosity. We all get to be a part of being valuable to the kingdom. We just need to be faithful with what we've been given and have a willingness to do something. Recently, I was really moved by a letter I got in the mail. I get this letter from Compassion International. Some of you may be familiar with Compassion. You can sponsor children through Compassion and it, it sends them money so they give them the tools to escape poverty. And I, I get this letter and it just says, I have some amazing news for you. Hannah Moo recently graduated from the Compassion program. And I was really overwhelmed when I got this. I was like, oh my goodness. And it you know, had all this stuff about, she's been given the tools to escape poverty and you were such an integral part of that. I was overwhelmed as I stood there in my kitchen because I remembered that back, and I have several Compassion Kids that I sponsor, but to, to get a letter of one of them graduating was a huge deal because it was back in 2006 when I started sponsoring Hannah Moo. I was presented with an opportunity to sponsor her and I remember at the time I was like, I mean, it was not necessarily a lot of money, but I was just out of, of college, out of grad school, had my first job and it did not pay a lot of money. I had just got a house. I was starting to pay off my student loans. It was all these things. I'm like, ah, this is, 
this is a lot. But when I had a bigger perspective and I realized, okay, if I do this amount every month, like in the long run, it can make an impact on our life. So I simply just said yes. And all I simply did was keep saying yes every month since then. From 2006 to 2022, standing in my kitchen, reading this graduation letter, and this was the picture they sent me of her. On the left, I still had her little gradu- or her initial packet picture that I had in a desk of Hannah Moo, living in Tanzania, family struggling, um, majorly affected by the HIV and AIDS epidemic there. And that's on the right, that was her graduation picture I got that day. And here, here's the thing, if I would have been asked in 2026, at the age that I was, can you do something to, to affect poverty, children in poverty in the world? I'd have been like, no, like what am I gonna do? What am I actually gonna do? But because I was given an opportunity to do something, and I said yes, and I chose to be faithful every single month since then, in, 2020, in 2006 to 2022, I was able to impact someone and it just absolutely floored me a few weeks ago as I read that. It's like we said at the beginning, between the great things we cannot do and the small things that we will not do, the danger is that we shall do nothing. As God's people, My hope and prayer is that we are people who do something. That we'll be people who do something, that we'll realize that we have been given the greatest gift there is. And maybe today all we needed was to take a step back and see a little bit of a different perspective about what impact we all can make individually, collectively, as a church to impact people for eternity. You know, when I took that flight that I talked about at the very beginning, when I went up on that little two-seater plane and flew to Charleston and back and got that bigger perspective of our area, which was so awesome, what I didn't tell you was that the pilot who took me up on that was actually Steve Walker, Shawnee's dad, from the video we watched earlier. It was actually him that took me up. And the amazing thing is, just last week, I saw them post this picture and she got to go up on her first flight with her dad. Isn't that awesome? She got to go up on her her first flight with him in the two-seater plane with her dad. When I look at her life, when I look at the story, when I think about the generosity of people and the impact it's made in her life, I'm like, wow. She has been given a chance to have a whole different perspective on life because of the generosity of so many people that chose to have open hands, open hearts, because of the walkers who chose to have an open table to invite someone to be a part of their actual family and lives are changed forever on both sides. That's the beauty. As the church, we represent Jesus to the world. First John three says this, who's our greatest example says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. All we're simply doing is saying, God, you've given to me. The beauty of the gospel is that God gave when we had nothing to give. When we had nothing to give, Christ gave. That is the gospel and all we simply do is turn around and give to others.
So if you feel like you have nothing to offer today, you're in the right place because God wants to pour out on your life. May we be the kind of people who receive that grace, that love, that mercy, and choose to resource and love people well all around us as his representatives in the world. Let's pray. God, it is your grace, it is your mercy, it is your goodness that reminds us of who you are. We know that you gave when we had nothing to give. All we had to do was receive the beautiful message of the gospel, what you did for us on the cross by conquering death and the resurrection. All we had to do was receive that truth and live into that reality. And so may we be people who choose to take that and love well. May you continue to draw our hearts towards you as we seek to live a life that honor you, honors you above all else. It's in 